Going once, going twice, third and final call. Sold back to the lender. In Maryland, America, hundreds of repossessed houses are under the auctioneer's hammer. It's a scene being repeated around the country. Over the next year, two million households will struggle to pay their mortgages, the result of years of easy credit and aggressive lending. I feel that I trusted the people that I was working with as a consumer. Not, I'm not a real estate savvy, mortgage savvy. This is the human face of the U.S. subprime mortgage market, which is behind the financial turmoil around the globe. Subprime means lending to people who might not normally qualify. In this situation, people on low incomes who took loans to buy houses they ultimately couldn't afford. Milka Fanfer, who lives in Boston, says she signed up for a mortgage, but didn't understand the small print. What I signed for, which I didn't realize anything, is that I ended up with an adjustable rate, and then after that, it was just a domino effect. The mortgage kept rising. Started at seventeen hundred last year, two thousand and six. The mortgage was almost three thousand dollars, and I ended up in foreclosure. Chris Lee, a New Zealand sharebroker, says much of the lending was based on so-called liar loans. If a person goes to a broker and says that they're employed and they earn a hundred thousand a year, you would normally be asked to provide proof. You'd be asked for a, a wages statement or a letter from your employer or some such document. In the case of subprime、uh, or no document mortgages, they're not required to prove it. Jessica Atty is a lawyer in New York. I have a client who lived on a fixed income of about eight hundred twenty-five dollars a month. She's an elderly woman. She wanted a mortgage to refinance her house to make repairs. She was told that she was getting an affordable mortgage. The payments ended up being about twenty-five hundred dollars a month, which obviously she could not afford on a fixed income of eight hundred dollars a month. When we sued the lender and we got their loan file, we found that they had. Made up fake tax returns. They made a fake lease agreement, and they made a fake employment stub, showing that she had enough income to afford the loan. All told, 600 billion U.S. dollars worth of subprime loans were made to Americans last year, about a fifth of the total. Many of the loans were fancy and complex. I have clients who have mortgages that are so complicated that it's taken me weeks myself to be able to understand the terms. It was a very profitable situation for brokers, but people were also hungry to borrow. Nicholas Retsinas is the director of Harvard University's Center for Housing Studies. Borrowers became desperate to buy a home, as they saw home prices rise faster and faster, and worried if they didn't buy today, they would not be able to buy tomorrow. So they stopped asking how much a house would cost. They stopped asking what the payments would be over time. They asked, "What's the least amount I would need to pay next month to get in the door?" At the same time, lenders and mortgage brokers in this country started to try to increase their market share, saw the prosperity in this market, and wanted to take advantage of that prosperity. So they too became more and more creative in coming up with different kinds of loans. Because of this climate of easy credit, banks are discovering that they've provided finance for houses that are worth less than the original loan. Now, to make matters worse, house prices in the U.S. are on the way down, for the first time in nearly 80 years. Kyle Bass from Hayman Capital in Texas. Housing prices nationwide have not dropped in the United States since the Great Depression. So we are entering an era now 
that people, including the guys on the Wall Street desk, did not think could ever happen. And that is we're going to see significant home price deterioration in the U.S. And it's because in the last two and a half years, about $1.2 trillion has been lent to people that otherwise couldn't have afforded to get a credit card. But how have bad loans to poor people in America become a global financial crisis? It's because of something called securitization, which began happening only in the last two decades. Securitization is a system of bundling up loans in big batches and selling them to other institutions all over the world, in theory to spread the risk. Economist John Key explains that if a company lends someone $100, that loan or IOU can then be unsold. You can package that with a hundred other bits of paper and you produce what's called an asset-backed security that is a collection of these loans. You package that bit of paper with other bits of paper and create yet another package. And you can see that as this packaging and repackaging goes on, the connection between the security you end up with and the initial loan becomes more and more tenuous. It means that banks down the end of the chain have little way of knowing whether the original loan will ever likely to be repaid. I asked financial advisor Chris Stone, who's been involved in researching the New Zealand finance company sector, why banks have been keen to buy such loans. The banks are very keen to work out where they can put the money that they've got coming in at the other end. They're swamped by investor money, and particularly so at the moment, and they're looking for investment opportunities, lending opportunities, and one of the ways in which they can do that is to buy these loan books. These loan books, that is the portfolio of loans held by a company, are rated as investment grade, which indicates they are relatively secure. They're considered investment grade for for two reasons. One is the characteristic of each individual loan is such that it can provide the security that's needed. The second part is As part of a diversified portfolio, so a securitised book might be made up of several hundred loans, there is a bit of risk spreading that allows the the credit rating agencies to say collectively their investment grade, whereas individually they may not be. The packets of loans can be worth tens of millions of dollars each, more attractive for institutions to put money into than lending to individual borrowers. However, as share broker Chris Lee from Paraparumu explains, it's in this way that the risk has been transferred around the world. The banks have securitised the mortgages, that is, they've put them all into a bundle, gone off to Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs in New York, who've bundled them up into a, into a mortgage fund. They've then sold that mortgage fund to other banks and pension funds all around the world, in places like Germany, in places like Japan, China. Australia and sadly even in New Zealand and in some cases they've done so having been able to get those funds credit rated by the ratings authorities with the ratings being done on the historic levels of arrears and problems that you get with mortgage funds. Of course we've never had such a growth of very bad mortgages so historic data hasn't meant much. The credit ratings have been wrong, the losses in those funds have been severe And the result is that even in New Zealand there are um, cash funds and fixed interest funds that have invested, whether they like it or not, in funds whose underlying assets were the subprime mortgages. And those people, those New Zealand companies operating here with our money, with our pension funds, our superannuation, those funds don't yet know how much has been lost. 
It's, it's a cesspit, but it's a cesspit where nobody knows the bottom yet. The situation has created a huge nervousness within the financial system, affecting the normal lending and borrowing which occurs between banks. Eric Chenet is chief economist for Europe at the American bank Morgan Stanley. Banks are reluctant to lend money to other banks because they have understood that there are a lot of uncertainties about the quality of assets, about investment made by their competitors. That means that the banking system is likely to tighten credit conditions even if the quality of credit of these companies does not change. There is a kind of general suspicion on all lenders and borrowers. And that is the credit crunch. If people think they might not get back the money they lend, they won't lend it or they'll ask for a higher rate of interest before doing so. Shamabil Jacob, an economist with Goldman Sachs, J.B. Weir, says the global credit freeze is having an impact here. In the last uh, three or four years, what we've seen is this increased appetite for risk, and people have invested in riskier and riskier assets to get that little bit of extra returns. But what we have seen in the last few months is that um, a lot of these risky assets haven't performed, and as uh, they have underperformed and you've had delinquencies, you have had some uh, uh, fairly big increases in uh, risk aversion. And that, that that has had a big impact on how people uh, lend money to each other. For example, in New Zealand, we have seen uh, retail banks uh, being quite unwilling to lend to each other and the cost of borrowing has gone up. Investments causing a 20 espresso a day stress level or a return that will let you relax. I did have an offer of 10.65% about three or four days before uh, the collapse took place. John Burnhill, an investor with the failed finance company Nathan's and its parent company VTL, was chasing a little extra interest for the $25,000 he was saving for a knee operation. But since the collapse, he's done some figures. With most trading bank rates now, you can get uh, somewhere around about 85 8.55% for terms between 10 to 12 months. The finance company rate at the time was between 9.5 and 11%. So on a sum of, of 25000 uh, there's somewhere uh, of a difference of between 175 and $200. So at the end of the day, is it really worth it? John Burnhill wasn't alone in getting burnt in the recent string of finance companies going to the wall. Now with the loss of five-star finance, I've lost all, or practically all of my husband's life insurance. And so if I lose that money, we're going to be really in it. <laughs> um, I don't think Dave will ever, ever believe in putting money out there again. You know, this has affected Dad entirely. At one point at the end of August, four companies fell over in a week. Property Finance Group has become the latest finance company to be placed in receivership. The reluctance of investors to put money into finance companies has claimed another victim. Five Star Consumer Finance has become the second company in just two days to go into receivership. Receivers were appointed yesterday to Nelson-based LDC Finance. The Nelson-based company Finance and Investments, which specialises in car finance, has become the ninth finance firm to go under. The failures are seen as a symptom of tightening conditions which had been forecast for some time. Economist Shamabil Jakob. The New Zealand economy is slowing and at the same time we've had this global credit crunch which has compounded the problems for the finance companies and a lot of finance companies do have this uh, problem where 
they have lent their money for long periods of time, but a lot of the funding, so the deposits they have from which they lend the money, are for shorter periods. So this mismatch means that all of a sudden some people are taking their money out of the finance sector, but these finance companies are not able to replenish that to keep funding the uh, loans that they have paid out. So you've had these finance companies who have overextended themselves, and while the economy was going very strongly, they were fine. But now that the economy is slowing and then there is a global shock, uh, they have been exposed. Last year, investment bankers McDool Stewart published a report on New Zealand finance companies which warned that harder times were ahead. One of its authors was Chris Stone. There's been a period of huge expansion in finance company and bank debt, and there was always going to be a time when that growth came more back into line with underlying economic growth. Chris Stone says finance companies fail for a number of reasons. One of them might be simply the quality of their book um, deteriorates, and by that I mean those parties they have lent money to are unable to meet the obligations of repaying the interest and the principal, and so that's a defaulting loan. The other part of it is, and it's, it's one that is actually more prevalent in the market just at the moment, is that they lose the, the investor support so their, their funding lines start drying up and they have a mismatch between their lending book and their, their funding book and they lose or they become insolvent. Nine finance companies in 16 months. As the toll mounted, confidence bled out of the sector, causing further collapse. John Kidd, who's working on this year's report on finance companies for McDowell Stewart, says their failures relate to systemic issues which the market needed to correct. Subprime, yes, it's a global phenomenon. It's uh, an issue which is going to the heart of the pricing risk and it's going to the heart of issues around where liability lies. But you know, it's, it's probably coming at an unfortunate time for the non-bank finance sector, but it's not the cause of what we're seeing. A group of three companies providing car finance and personal loans fell over in 2006. Provincial Finance, National Finance 2000 and Western Bay Finance. Bridgecorp, the fifth largest company in the sector, went to the wall in July this year, largely because of problems with its property development loans. Nathan's Finance was next the following month when its parent company, VTL, went into liquidation. Then four followed in quick succession – Property Finance, Five Star, LDC and a very small company in Nelson called Finance and Investments. Bruce Shepherd, the chairman of the New Zealand Shareholders Association. That's the problem with a run on funds. Initially what happens is the weak end up falling over, e.g. the Bridge Corps, the Provincials, the Western Bays, the National Finances. They were all intrinsically weak companies for varying reasons. In the case of National, it was a captive finance company for one car dealer. So the quality of writing the book was driven by the needs of a dealer, not the needs of a finance company. In the case of Provincial, they were focusing solely on car finance and were lending on absolutely stupid terms because they wanted to own that particular market. Western Bay, to a lesser extent, was caught in the same euphoria. They were the three from last year. This year's stable, Bridgecorp was a mezzanine property financier, which effectively meant it was lending equity. And in a tight property market, it's not hard for equity to rapidly erode and result in assets becoming impaired. In the case of Nathan's finance, they were the victim of undisclosed related party loans.
John Kidd says the failed companies represented a variety of different types of lending, but they did have some common features. There was a predisposition to problems for a number of the companies that failed, and、uh, issues around governance, issues around accounting treatments, and issues around disclosure were, were all common threads across them. Economist Shemabil Yakub from Goldman Sachs, J.B. Weir, says the sector as a whole tends to move in the same cycle as the general economy. Last year we had quite a few of the car finance companies fail, and that wasn't really surprising because the used car sales market、uh, slowed quite considerably. And as volumes dried up,、uh, these companies' financial weakness was exposed. And the same thing is happening now when the economy is slowing generally, and these guys have been exposed in having too much、uh, leverage. The growing storm signals a dramatic contrast for finance companies, which have been basking in average growth of 18% a year since 1999. Small investor John Barnhill says any trust he had in finance companies has been destroyed. I'll be uh, basically uh, trusting any further investments just with a bank. I have uh, withdrawn uh, funds from a, probably what is a reasonably sound finance company, but、uh, I wasn't prepared to be、uh, caught the second time around. John Barnhill's actions reflect those of many others, as a so-called flight to quality takes place, and institutions like Rabobank benefit at the expense of finance companies. Chris Stone says the loss of confidence indicates that there's been a big change in mood on the part of investors. We refer to it, I guess, rather cynically as the the greed and fear cycle. And、uh, on the one hand, investors chase higher returns, and that's quite understandable. And they're prepared to take, sometimes without full understanding of the risks, they take higher risks in their investment. But there comes a a time where where suddenly they They become anxious, and so that the, the fear or the anxiety of their investments is a greater driver of their their actions, and they might move completely in the opposite direction and say, "Look, we're prepared to accept much lower returns, but we want absolute certainty." But in a sector where there are more than 100 finance companies, does the loss of a handful matter very much? Sharebroker Chris Lee thinks not. I hate to be callous about it, but. The truth is that the finance companies that have collapsed have not been key or even vaguely important parts of our economy. I would think that the main finance companies and the main banks, which are by far the bulk of all our banking assets, are in very good state, are not going to fall over, and will still be here today, tomorrow, and in ten years' time. The little blokes who've come in lately, or behaved badly, or been managed poorly. And have gone broke. Really, did need to go broke. It's a good thing for the system that we are cleaning out the worst performers. However, he fears a more significant impact if another of the larger finance companies was to collapse. I think that will be the blow that dents confidence for months、uh, and months ahead, maybe a year ahead. If there are no further significant failures in the next few weeks, and of course, the end of the September quarter is a key date for finance companies when they pay their interest. So. Who knows whether we're going to get some news now? But if there are no further failures now or before Christmas, I would think by the beginning of next year,、uh, renewal rates and new money flows will be much more normal than they have been for the last two months. What are the chances another finance company will go to the wall? Bruce Shepherd of the Shareholders Association. Those that are left are probably better run than those that fell over. But there are still some, I might add, that I consider to be weak. But there's no point naming them. 
the real issue will be how they manage liquidity. Because as a run develops, a bit like that delightful English bank that's paid out a couple of billion quid, when the run starts, the moment you stop paying people when they ask for it is the moment the run accelerates and then it takes everything with it. Chris Stone. I don't think anybody out there will be giving any assurances there won't be more. But it's a certainty if investors stop putting their money into finance companies or any other financial institution, then that financial institution will get into difficulties simply because their ability to reconfigure their loan book may not be able to keep pace with the rate of change of of investor sentiment. Bruce Shepard believes the crashes are already affecting the availability of credit. The net effect is that finance companies will be husbanding their liquidity to ensure that they can meet the demands of their investors and validate the confidence that the investors have in them by paying them back if they wish to be paid. So if they're husbanding liquidity, they will have very little desire to lend. And if they have very little desire to lend, there will be a New Zealand local credit crunch. So that will inevitably affect our retail sector to a lesser or greater degree. Others disagree and point to some of the big finance companies like GE and Fisher and & Paykel Finance, which they say are prepared to step in and take up the slack. But the fall of the finance companies and the overall impact of the credit squeeze is likely to be felt most in the property sector as developers face tougher conditions to find finance. Shamabil Yakub. Potentially that's the largest casualty of the whole thing. I think what we're going to see at the moment is that, one, the economy is slowing, two, lending criteria are going to change, and the funding cost for these finance companies has increased quite a bit. So we're now at a situation where these guys are having to operate on a very small margin. Chris Lee believes that although stricter lending criteria will slow down the level of activity, large, good-quality property development shouldn't be too badly affected. But what I do see a change to is that the... The latecomers, without much capital, who've jumped in and are seeking to build, you know, 30 square metre flats in downtown Wellington or Auckland or somewhere, trying to maximise the biggest profit they can as quickly as they can, uh, those people in a fading market with less confident money lenders will probably get bowled over and may not survive. For the consumer, there are two sides, the small investor and the shopper. Bruce Shepard says the mum and dad investors in the failed companies will be feeling poorer. There is the perception that they've lost their money and what that does to them. It leaves them uncertain and panicking and it also means that it knocks out of them any confidence to continue investing in that sector or investing at all and also because they feel poorer they will consume and spend less. This sentiment may be more important amid a slowing down of house prices and the relatively high interest rates for mortgages. Because Shamabil Yakub believes that the investor losses taken on their own aren't significant for the economy as a whole. We've done some modelling and we think that if, we, if there is a loss of, say, a billion dollars in the finance company sector, then uh, it probably takes off about 0.1 percentage points of consumption growth, which is a very, very small amount. Um, much, much bigger drivers for or the household sector is what's happening in the property market, what's happening with debt servicing costs, and those are much more important. It's these factors that may turn the tide on the wave of shoppers buying on credit, more so than stricter higher purchase terms due to the credit crunch. 
John Albertson, the chief executive of the Retailers Association, says HB criteria may have tightened a little, but there's no sign of any slowdown. If you look at the total market, the two or three biggest players are relatively unaffected. People like Fisherman Pike or Finance and GE, who aren't dependent on the, the New Zealand market for their funding to the same extent, and they have some obviously very strong backing. Because they have reasonably dominant positions in the higher purchase market, the total funds available for higher purchase probably haven't been affected all that much. To help you really relax in the perfect setting, Freedom is now offering no interest and no repayments for 18 months. With adverts like this still around, the finance in this case offered by the US-backed GE finance company, it seems the credit boom is nowhere near over yet, despite some predicting a downturn in sales on big-ticket items. How important are these factors as they crash together? Is there a risk that New Zealand's economic growth could be significantly hit? When we look out at the international picture, uh, we do have a story at the moment where both uh, forecasts of activity and of inflation are a little more uncertain than they've been in the past. The Reserve Bank Governor Alan Bollard, speaking at the most recent official cash rate announcement earlier this month, acknowledged the tightening conditions but said the country's economy remains strong. You'll all have been aware of the recent collapse of some finance companies and the tightening of liquidity in the non-bank financial sector. Uh, This could act to dampen some economic activity in some parts of the economy, particularly some subsectors in property development. But overall, we do expect the effects of this to be minor. They are minor so far. Predictions of how fast the economy will grow next year vary widely. The Reserve Bank puts GDP at around 3%, while Goldman Sachs' JB Weir have slashed their projection to 1.1%. Much may depend on how the US fares, caught in a housing downturn which may push the economy over the edge into recession. Lyle Gramley, the former governor of the Federal Reserve. The most likely way that that would happen is if consumers begin to pull in their horns and spend less. The problems in housing per se are not likely to do that, but if that begins to lead to a deterioration of consumer confidence and a loss of consumer wealth, then we could end up in recession. The Economist magazine states that the recent half a percentage point cut to interest rates by the Fed was of a size that signified fear more than hope. Bruce Shepard of the New Zealand Shareholders Association. The US is still a very big market for New Zealand, not as large as it has been, but still very large. If the US moves into recession, they will also move into what I call fortress mode, which is what they usually do, which is protect their own manufacturers, protect their own distribution, forget a free trade agreement. They'll basically hucker down. And when they hucker down, trade slows, balance of payments gets worse, economy here gets worse. There aren't too many good indicators out there to suggest that New Zealand can avoid a significant reversal in its growth prospects. Despite the dairy money and despite the fact that employment at the moment is still pretty good here? It's amazing how quickly that can turn, though. And so you're predicting quite a hard landing? I think I've gone a step further than that and said, forget soft, forget hard, it's crash landing. Others like John Albertson from the Retailers Association are far less pessimistic. What we've had so far obviously has created a bit of nervousness, 
but I would suspect if New Zealand win the World Cup, that will restore confidence in the punter out there, and, and because it's all about state of mind rather than about each individual economic indicator.